Hello and welcome to What the Catcher with me, Nikki Webster. And me, Bettina Campolicci-Bordi. This is our podcast for foodies everywhere and we're joined by a special guest each week to share food stories and talk all about our passion for the things we eat. And I must say a big thank you to Islands Chocolate who very kindly sponsor the series. They're a small British business bringing you the finest and tastiest multi-purpose chocolate directly from the family-owned farms in St Vincent in the Caribbean. So they can rightly shout about being sustainable, ethical and the only seed, not bean, to bar chocolate. Plus, they produce multi-purpose chocolate. It's brilliant for cooking and it's the choice of many Michelin-starred chefs and we use it in our recipes as well. We love it. It's such a good chocolate to eat and to cook with. And you, our lovely listeners, can get 15% off anything you order on the website, which is islandschocolate.com by using the codes islandswtf, that's islandswtf, all uppercase, at the checkout and you can follow them on instagram at islands chocolate so let's meet this week's guest welcome steve and dave the happy pair so it all began all started in 2004 with the veg shop fast forward 15 years and you have four cafes 40 products six online courses four cookbooks oh my goodness a farm a roastery hundreds of employees and a community of over a million it may be more than that now i don't know Interestingly, I believe that you both became plant-based whilst travelling separately, but at the same time, and your aim is to help everyone get healthier and happier. Um, What's better than that? And your newest book, The Happy Pair, Vegan Cooking for Everyone, is out now. And today, we'd love to chat to you about how food affects your mood. Welcome, Steve and Dave. Wow, what a lovely intro. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Bettina. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> well, lovely to be here. I'm Dave. I'm a bit huskier. Yeah, we did a talk at right. school yesterday. It was the yeah. first in-person talk we've done in about a year and a half. Oh, how lovely. Poor oh, David's nice. voice has gone all grisly. It's gone sexy, I think. <laughs> yeah, very sexy. I think I sound kind of a tiny bit sexy, maybe. You do, Dave. We'll go with that. How are you guys doing? Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's a beautiful day here in Ireland. I just had a nap. Stephen was down filming some chocolate, chocolate lava cake. That didn't work out well, so they have no, to reshoot wasn't it. wasn't quite right. The first test? Uh, no, it was actually the fourth test, but um, oh. <laughs> just, it just uh, like part of the reason Amy would, would be our home economist, and she would have tested a few times, and I often with a, with a lava cake, like it's, you know, temperature is quite important, and when you taste it mm-hmm. cold, you're... You're imagining that when it's warm, that's a secret ingredient. And then when I tasted it today, hot out of the oven, it was like, nah, it's just like hot bread. That needs more fat and more sweet. If it's going to be, you know, like me and Shawnee were filming, you know, when you film something and you're, you realize no one wants to eat it afterwards. You kind of go, okay, there's a bit of a problem here. This is, this is, this, we can do better. We can do better. (laughs) We can always do better. I think we're going to test it a few more times and then we'll shoot it on Thursday, maybe. Nice. But part of the process. Exactly. It's definitely part of the process, isn't it? A lot of testing. It's meant to be five ingredients, though. I think, you know, each little ingredient has to be strong on its own. It does. And yeah, it work its magic. Yeah. And how's your days going? Uh, really good. It's uh, sunny in London, which is really, really nice. The weather is turning. There's like a, a warm wind, which is great. So I've big, just finished a big project. So I've had a lovely celebratory visit to my mum. And we went to some antique shops. So I've had a good day. Nice work. Yeah. Antique shops, were you buying all mirrors or what were you buying? Well, I'm, I'm going to be moving into a house soon. So I need everything. So it's incredibly exciting. So I bought a, um, a coat stand. Wow, cool. <laughs> 
So we are so happy that you've joined us with our podcast, What the Focaccia. And for anyone that doesn't know who you are, I don't think there's many people that don't know who you are, but how would you guys describe yourself? Uh, identical twins who are having fun, fumbling along through life. We call ourselves the happy pair because we started a vegetable shop and we, you know, like back when we were 24 and we used to sell pears. And I guess there's many different ways you could describe us. I guess we'd say two curious creatures that are having fun, fumbling through life, that love eating vegetables and love an audience, love doing handstands, swimming in the sea and not taking life too seriously. Whoa, what a lovely life you have. That sounds perfect. Others might describe us very differently. That's <laughs> our own view. On <laughs> that I'm interested in. Well, like the nature of, I think, uh, as one gets more known or if you have more reach you'll realize or we've realized that some people like us and some people really don't like us and that we're like marmite and i guess we've learned throughout the years that it's often not necessarily a reflection on ourselves it's often just how the person is feeling and often how they believe we are so it's you know at times when i'm feeling a little sensitive i can be you know affected by this but by and large it's like ah well they're just having a bad day and i look forward to meeting them one day and you just really can't please everyone can you it's actually impossible yeah yeah yeah. i love i love byron katie she's do you ever come across byron katie she's like one of these spiritual guru type people she's based out in la no i need to and uh, a friend just i ended up coming across her one day a friend kind of he was really into her and i remember one of her quotes was this was her quote now not mine she says I know everyone loves me. I just think they don't realize it. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought there's some truth in it because underneath it all, there's some sensitive, lovely, loving human underneath everyone. And that's the kind of bit that connects with the same and everyone else. So That's such a nice saying. I think every everyone is going through different things, aren't they? And especially in the last year that we've had, I think everyone needs to be kind to each other and just thoughtful considering what everyone's been through. And still going through. Yeah, more compassionate, I think, or whatever, more empathetic, all of those things. Absolutely. As Bettina was saying, last year has been, you know, very challenging for, for lots of people. But, I mean, how has it affected you guys? How have you found it? There's been loads of silver linings to it. It's been, like, really hard in some ways, you know, in that we had to close a couple of cafes and we had to lay lots of people off and all that mm. stuff was really challenging and it is really challenging and horrible and you feel like a failure in certain ways and then at the same time it gives an opportunity to prioritize why we started our business and I think anyone who's running a business it's very easy to get caught up with the allure of growth and you know what society can deem successful Mm. and I know as we've seen our business kind of grow from kind of 100 to 200 employees and revenue started to kind of cross 10 million 10 million you're kind of like whoa and people kind of wow you know can often say wow you're doing wonderful isn't that great and you kind of unfortunately our egos you know get, kind you get of, swept along with it and i guess this has been a great rain check of kind of going what's important and what's not and we've kind of you know as we said we closed a couple of cafes and we focused on what's important and it's been great in that prioritizing what makes fulfills us and what is you know we we turned 40 there around the same time just before mm-hmm. you know all this corona stuff started so it's been it's fast-tracked our own relationship with ourselves and prioritizing what's important so yeah because it's been we, great silver lining because we found like as the business has grown we kind of got caught up in it and as a result we found out we were busier than ever and i was kind of every time yeah. we go down to say pearville our production facility you'd meet new employees that you you'd never really met before and you started kind of wondering what is this business anymore is this our business you know it started to feel a lot more it didn't feel as close or as homely or as sense as familial 
Um, so or felt watered down. It so felt diluted and watered down, whereas now it's given us that opportunity to really get back to the core and the essence of why we started our business and to try to, you know, work is something that we spend so much of our time doing. And it's really important for us that we love it and we have a great time and that we get to do it with people that we love. Yeah, I suppose, it's, I mean, once you start a business and it gains momentum, don't ne- usually or necessarily get the opportunity to sort of stop and, and take a step back and actually you know have a think about whether it is in line with what you want to do and where it's going in or where you want to do it or even related to where it was initially yeah 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 because yeah and you kind of have to make that effort to kind of constantly reflect on going is this what i want to do because very often it can turn into a job if you don't keep your eye on it and i guess the last year has been great in that it's got us to reflect on what's important to us and like we're starting a farm, which is really fun, which we've wanted to do oh, for the last. Wow. We've had a farm, like we've had a farm, which has been, we had a cherry farm and we had, we've got a wheatgrass farm and sprout farm at the moment. And we've had that for the last kind of 12 years or so, but we're actually starting a, an organic regenerative agriculture farm, which is amazing. Yeah, six acres. So we're very excited with that. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is it's very easy to get caught up with inertia. And as a business grows, you know at least for me and dave who are idealists and dreamers and kind of enjoy hard work Mm -hmm. and the graft but aren't so good at structures and procedures and as a business grows and you start getting or as we started to get more employees the business needed to get more formal and more structured and more procedure led and through that process often some of the fun is lost so it's given us that opportunity again to get back and you know make it more feel more like a rebel rebel alliance (laughs) 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 <laughs> rather than whatever the hell it was else so this isn't your first foray into farming then so where's this coming from uh well it's just it's just the importance of you know when you start to look more into our food system you realize the importance of the soil and looking after the soil and looking after the land and linking our own community to the food we eat directly because i think a huge part of yeah. the issues nowadays is we're so detached from our food so we waste more of it we don't choose the healthier ones we don't eat in season there's so much things and i think actually walking our talk in terms of this has been really really important for us and even starting like we started with a fruit and veg shop back in 2004 and even when we started at first we were very kind of surprised with how little produce was actually grown in ireland and i'm sure it's quite similar in the uk Mm. the majority if you're going to compete with supermarkets is kind of imported from around the world and very little of it is you know, as a UK is probably better because there's more, you know, yeah, more you tend people to, and more land. Yeah, yeah. But I guess we've kind of taken it on as a kind of almost like as something that we really believe in is like we can grow more veg in Ireland. You look at Holland, which is one of the world's biggest exporters of vegetable, and that's a quarter. That's about half the size of Ireland and it has four times the population. So, you know, I think there's a, the excuse of us not having enough land, not having the right climate. I don't think is appropriate. I just think we haven't focused on it enough. So, so we so see I, it as a great opportunity. I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's an opportunity as an example of showing other farmers that might have typically been rearing animals or dairy farmers. And like we want to be quite clear in terms of the numbers behind it, the commerciality behind it and be very transparent with it. So you can actually go, OK, if you are running a six acre dairy farm or whatever it might be, this is the numbers if you transition to it. This is how it works. This is the inputs. This is the cost. This is the return and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, at least there's a model there. This is, the I- this is the idealism we're going into it with anyway. Fantastic. Um, you mentioned the word regenerative, which we love because we're very passionate about sustainability and regenerative farming. So for anybody who doesn't know what the true meaning of regenerative farming, tell us. So it all focuses on the soil and often... You know, it's very easy in modern day society to get souped up in like cryptocurrency or it's like the new world supercomputer (laughs) or it's like electric cars. They're all the future. But ultimately, (laughs) one of the most sophisticated piece of technologies we have is our soil. 
like in one handful of soil, there's more biodiversity than there's been humans on the planet. And even in one tablespoon, mm. there's more biodiversity than humans that currently live. You know, it has a wonderful ability to sequester carbon or trap carbon. And even it comes back to, so like back since the, the end of World War II, chemical farming kind of started. And that was where people started using pesticides and herbicides and fungicides to kind of with the idea that it was going to increase crop yields. And it did for people that had kind of poor soil or, or didn't have it well, kind of, this is, this is back to Central America, really. Um, and, and I guess it, it kind of had a detrimental effect on the soils in the long term. So but but in away. essence, to answer the question more straightforward, regenerative <laughs> farming is focused on building soil health and soil biodiversity. So it's, because, not, because, it's not tilling, because often the process of tilling opens up the soil, releases the carbon, exposes the topsoil to more possibility of erosion and it also you know goes against the nature of creating more biodiversity can i say one more thing i was going to say so they say statistically now i don't know how correct this is they say 95 to 97 percent of our topsoil is kind of being eroded or being in poor condition right now and the un even came out a statistic saying that we've only got about 60 harvests left i don't know how true that is but really the importance of shifting towards not even organic because organic tills the farm and there is certain mm. chemicals you can use in organic farming but regenerative is really all about nurturing the soil because the soil the soil has its own biome and as Stephen mentioned there's massive amounts of bacterial biodiversity and microorganisms in it and the same, like the only other place in the planet which there's a similar kind of quantity of them is in, in the human gut. And really, mm -hmm. I think once we've started using chemical fertilizers and pesticides and fungicides, they really are having a negative effect on the soil and therefore on the human gut as well, where there's 70% of our mm. immune system. You know, it's directly correlated to our moods, the foods we taste, all these various things. So I think there's, it's so central to so many things. And we've only recently, in the last number of years, made that link and realized the importance of it. And even, can I say one? One last thing I know we're, yes, we're very excited about this. Uh, no, this is like, exactly what we want to talk to you about. Great. Even down to like the taste of our food, like typically, so there's a score known as the brick score where uh, say we can take a carrot and we can put it through a refractometer and we can measure the brick scores in the degree of sweetness uh, in any type of vegetables. Typically we use it for coffee to measure how extracted it is. But say a, a typical carrot in the UK would have a brick score of between six to eight. And uh, you might be familiar with a chef in New York, Dan Barber. On their farm, they focus on growing for nutrition and for taste. And they grow some carrots that can have a brick score of 16.9. Mm. So that's over twice the degree of available mm. sugars. And often, if you think about fruit, typically the tastiest fruit are the ripest fruits. And they're so just like they're ready to just deliver that sweet deliciousness as an indicator that the the, the sugars are more readily available. And similarly with veg, the more the more tasty a veg is, typically it's an indicator that it's got a higher nutritional composition too. That's fascinating. That's amazing. And it's exactly what we want to talk about, which is how how food affects our mood and, and how it's related to the gut. Because you've got some online courses that focus on gut health, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we've got our, our Happy Gut course. We started with two and a half years ago. We partnered with a consultant gastroenterologist, Dr. Alan Desmond, super cool dude. And Rosie what's, Martin. What's a gastroenterologist, Dave? Great question, Steve. A gastroenterologist is a digestion doctor <laughs> who studied for 17 years to become a consultant and an expert in their field. Um, and then a dietitian, Rosie Martin. And we kind of partnered to build this online course and we've now had more than 20,000 people through it. And I guess through the process, we've just learned the massive importance with the microbiome, which is, as we said, it's the 
you've all, we, every, every one of us has about two kg of microorganisms in our gut, aka our colon. Mm. And um, these are made up, as Stephen said, of microorganisms, which is bacteria, yeast, fungi, and archaea. And they're all kind of single cell, tiny little organisms. And we've got about, you know, this is according to leading science, they say we've got about 10 trillion human cells, but we're actually host to about 100 trillion microorganisms. And these are in every cell in our body. They're even in our mitochondria, which are which are our kind of um, like our energy powerhouses in each of our cells. So they're like, they're super important to human health in every aspect of it. And what we eat has a massive impact on our microbiome and our, you know, our gut health. And the number one biggest thing you can do is actually fiber, is eat a fiber rich yeah, food. Yeah, so most people eating a traditional yeah. UK or Irish diet typically get anywhere, you know, approximately 16 to 17 grams of fiber per day. The recommended daily intake is around 30 grams of fiber per day. And if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, you'd be getting anywhere from 45 to 60 grams per day. But but in essence, mm. fiber, like traditionally, it was seen as just plant cellulose that had very little function. But what fiber is, it's really important prebiotic. So prebiotic meaning that it's very important. It's the main food that these microorganisms kind of eat upon it and encourages more of the healthy strains to grow. So you know, even even to tell a little story, I remember back a few years ago, we were trying to get a healthy eating curriculum in schools across the country here in Ireland. And we went into the government buildings, the Dáil, and we met um, the Minister for Education, or Minister for Health. Health. Okay, yeah, and we sat down with him. Simon, oh, no, maybe it was mm. Education. I can't remember Simon which one Harris. Was. Anyway, maybe it was one, minister, of, one of the ministers. Anyway, it was Simon Harris. Anyway, we sat down with Simon. <laughs> And I started um, trying to get it off the ground. And then I went down to the local, my daughter's school, and we were trying to get it started. And um, the principal at the time was a nun. And she'd been a nun there for about 30 years. And I started talking about the word fiber. And she suddenly lit up. And I was like, oh, my God, a nun getting turned on by fiber. What's the story here? <laughs> so I asked her, you know, I asked her, like, like, tell me more about this. And she said, um, you know, recently in the last five to 10 years, every single week, two to three children go home due to constipation. And oh, prior yeah. to that, this never happened. And she put it directly down to the change of diet that we're suddenly at the moment in the UK and Ireland, it's around 50 to 60 percent of all calories consumed are ultra processed. So there's just been a huge mm, shift yeah. of diet and where most of us are deficient in fiber. So um, on a personal level then, I mean, how do you guys get your fiber? Well, you only get fiber in plant-based foods. So you only get it in fruit, veg, beans, legumes, whole grains, nuts and seeds. So if anyone listening eats a plant-based diet or a vegan diet, you're nailing it. But th- there is a difference there. I use the word plant-based and I used vegan. Like I could eat a vegan diet and just eat chocolate bars and... Vegan ice cream and vegan, vegan ice burgers. Cream and vegan hot dogs. And I'm probably not getting much more fiber than the average person on a U- standard UK diet of meat and two veg. Yeah. But what we're talking about is really a plant-based diet where you're really focusing on whole foods. So as in your fruit, your veg, your beans. Beans are one of the highest sources of fiber in our diet and whole grains and nuts and seeds. And you do not get any fiber in animal-based foods or um, dairy or processed foods. Totally with you there. I'm all over the beans. Yeah, so, beans are great. Yeah. And, and even even when you look to the blue zones where there's the longest living people on the planet. So that's the five areas in the world where there's most amount of centenarians. Yeah. When they look at yeah. their diet, 50% of their calories are coming from beans, <laughs> beans and legumes and lentils. And they know how to cook them. I think I think with beans and legumes, I think quite a few people find them quite intimidating to cook from scratch but they're actually very easy to cook and and especially if you do them in uh, in big batches have you got any bean cooking tips or legume cooking tips 
Yeah, I think often people can get, um, you know, put off with kind of cooking and the complexity to it. And often beans can be associated. So I got to soak chickpeas for three hours and then I got to use one of those pressure cookers. And last time I used one, the lid blew off and I nearly blew the house down. So feck it, I'm just getting pizza. (laughs) Whereas I think, you know, with health, there's no perfect. I think, you know, tinned beans are very practical and they're very easy. And I think you can get jars if you're worried about, you know, trying to have a a lower environmental impact. So I I think it's about rather than trying to be perfect, it's about trying to do our best. So we use use, use tinned beans in our homes because it's just more practical. In our cafes and restaurants, we do boil all the beans because you're using 25 kg of beans or 10 kg of beans on a daily basis. Whereas at home, you're only using... 500 grams every now and again or 250 grams you're not using enough to merit boiling them so in summary tin beans good yeah try to choose organic if you can because the difference is very negligible possibly possibly 10 to 20 percent <laughs> i agree so I agree. <laughs> you're speaking about your food brand which is amazing by the way tell us about the range and how you source your ingredients is is sourcing really important to you yeah like and this this was we've been at this so when you say a food brand what it is is just to explain to anyone so we as we said we started with a vegetable shop and it kind of it spawned it's, it grew arms and legs and uh, one part of it, we started a sprout farm, as we said, where we were growing wheatgrass and sprouts and things like this. And at some stage, it was we just had an awful crop and they just they, we didn't have enough product to sell. So at the time our younger brother was running it, he started the whole thing, the, the farm bit. And he kind of, Stephen was making, we used to sell lots of this sun-dried tomato pesto in our shop. And Dara said, Lots like 10 tubs a week. Yeah, like this is back in the early days. So he said, I wonder, could I just try making, if you make 20 tubs, can I try selling 10 of them to the local shop? And they said, okay, and it sold well and people really liked it. And then he sold it to another shop and then he was making 20 a week. And mom was helping him. And then it was 30 and then it was 40. And roll on now, we could make, you know, 5,000 in a week. Or if you, you know, you make a lot of pestos and hummuses. Mm. So we've got, as we said, we've got about 50 products. They're all vegan. They're all plant-based. We try to have as clean a deck as possible. So we don't have any preservatives or additives or which takes quite a bit of time because when you're selling products to supermarket we partner with super value who we distribute they're one of the biggest supermarkets here in ireland mm. and centra and they've got nearly uh, i'm going to guess about 600 stores or 700 stores so we've got a full range of as we said about 50 products starting from pestos and hummuses and granolas and wow. soups and dinners and pizzas and sprouts and bars and Bites and yeah, we've got a lot of different products. <laughs> a lot. Um, and source, so sourcing ingredients is really important. And it's the fine balance because as Stephen said, we like, we're like we doing our very best. Like our packaging, like more than 50% of our packaging is compostable. Um, our ingredients, they're not organic, which is we're definitely working towards because you live in capitalism and mm-hmm. there's certain price points that customers won't typically buy from and there isn't enough scale. So it's, it's finding a constant balance, which is challenging. Yeah, and that's that's something that we kind of struggle with because me and Dave are very idealistic and the challenge is the very nature of a business is it's got to exist within capitalism to be financially responsible. So often your ideals have to be tempered because you got to sell your product. So as a result, you know, sometimes say with our soup, we can't, you can't see, say for soup, soup is normally hot filled at 75 degrees Celsius, so you can get a shelf life on it. 
And if you, there's no compostable packaging that can survive that. So right. there's a trade-off there that you can't actually use a fully compostable packaging. So Well, no, it gets hot filled at 75 and then it has to be blast chilled down to below four degrees in less than two hours and there isn't compostable packaging. which can yeah. like. But anyway, there's loads of technicalities and we absolutely do our best and also realise that we are far from perfect. <laughs> yeah, so that's the nature of it. And I suppose that's another one, isn't it? I mean, it's an absolutely incredible achievement, but I suppose when you... you those products directly interact with customers on a daily basis, don't they? And I think yeah, sometimes people have this perception that you could or you can be really cheap and organic and perfectly sourced and have really clean ingredients. And it's it's, it's a very difficult task. I used to work in food marketing, so it's hard. Yeah, it's re- and I think that's part of modern day hack culture. We all want to, you know, invest in Bitcoin and make a million today and buy a house. And we all want to eat chocolate bars and French fries and take one shot of wheat grass and suddenly you have abs and you are healthy (laughs) and that we're all looking for the silver bullet but unfortunately as we all know it kind of takes a lot of hard work and a lot of you know going through the struggle and the the darkness of the night yeah so yeah and exactly as you're saying like everyone expects you know when people know us they'll expect a certain thing and then you're doing your very best in every sense. And the reality is like all the products need to be brought to the supermarkets to super value with trucks. So they're, you know, it's really challenging to try to just constantly move the dial. We have to constantly move the dial. Like all our vans run on natural gas. Now, you know, we, we fill them up in our own in Pearville where like we're consistently trying to move the needle in the right direction. And it just, it just takes time and consistently consistency. And like, it's, it's easy to be overwhelmed with kind of seeking the perfection that our product should be all organic and should be all in compostable packaging. But then we reflect on it. Like our goal is to try to make, you know, whole food eating accessible and to get more people doing that. Cause I guess looking at the research from university of Oxford in 2018, the single biggest thing you can do for the environment is to eat a plant-based or vegan diet. So the more we can make healthier vegan food accessible, the more it's going to have a positive impact in the environment. So I guess it's constant trade-offs and we always try to just focus on progress rather than perfection because otherwise we'd give up. Oh, I'm so impressed, guys. Okay, so next question for you. Um, what do you think is the best bit about your job is or has that changed over time? Our job's amazing. Oh, it's changed every single month or it just changed consistently you know at the start we used to drive a little red van we were 24 we used to go into the supermarket or into the the fruit and veg market at 4 30 a.m in the morning to go pick the produce which you were going to sell during the day and it was very simple and then we started a juice bar and then after that we started our first cafe and then so we were learn, in cooking all you the time to learn how to cook and evolve that and then we <laughs> kind of started a writing cookbooks and then, and then you we start- started a farm and then you started filming youtube videos and then social media started so you started doing more of that so it's and then you started doing <laughs> talks and it's kind of you know as we said it, it really has grown arms and legs and our job nowadays is like certainly i can only say really the last number of years it's really we we write cookbooks we shoot video like it's all content so we shoot a lot of videos on youtube yeah um we do a lot of content for social media for our courses as we said we've got six online mm. courses where we've had more than fifty thousand people through them in more than 100 countries and they they're really good because they get amazing results at helping people transition to a more healthy diet and they're all partnered with doctors so we're very we spend probably 40 percent of our time on them and, and then, then recently we started a podcast which like even this morning i was going dave i think our job is the best job in the world i feel so lucky like our podcast, uh, we've like yours, you get to kind of talk, well, you know, we get to talk with people that we often admire <laughs> and explore topics that we're fascinated about. So it's like, oh my God, this is work. Yeah. This is so cool. 
Yeah, but there's also stuff like directors' meetings and things like this, or accountancy meetings, or things that aren't the best bit. But there's a mix of. You generally, we enjoy most of it. Yeah, which is great, exactly. Which we're really, really lucky. Fantastic. That it sounds. It sounds like you've got lots of <laughs> legs and arms to your businesses. But I, I think it's amazing that you. It really comes through that you enjoy what you do, which is fantastic. Where, where do you guys see the future of plant-based eating? Because I think you two are probably pioneers in plant-based food production and you started very early on I think before it became quite popular and and the buzzword where do you see the future heading we started eating a plant-based diet about 20 years ago way before anyone and um (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was kind of hard back then you couldn't even get lentils in the supermarket you know it was interesting anyway yeah it was quite weird but um, I guess I see it as becoming a lot more normalized. Like right now, it's quite fashionable. And I think it would move beyond that to become just a lot more. We have to do it for the environment and for the sustainment of our species. So I think it's, yeah. please God, I see a lot more focus on organic and regenerative farming practices. Certainly. And the one thing which, like, I don't know what will happen at a society level, at government levels, at country levels. I just know in our own community, we've certainly focused on connecting our own community to the land. And that's what our whole focus is with this farm, which we're starting. It'll be a CSA, so Community Supported Agriculture, where we'll have a, month, a weekly vegetable box where people will buy into the start of the season. Amazing. And they'll get a, a veg box every week and they can come up to the farm every week or every month. There'll be meetups in the farm. They'll get to walk around the farm. We'll have schools come to the farm. We'll really make it, you know, relevant to the, to the community that they realize how food is grown, how regenerative agriculture works. You know, we really want to make it more a model. So I think that's that's where we want to move our own community food kind of projects, really. And like earlier this year, we started an organic sourdough bakery. And again, that was part of the reason for with, that was... With Charlie May. Yeah, with yeah. Charlie May. And Charlie May's amazing. We love she's, Charlie May. Oh, she's amazing. She's just <laughs> over in London, actually, at the moment now. She's amazing. Um, so Charlie May's the head baker and she's been such a central, incredible part of it. But the, I guess it spawned out of I'd been baking sourdough for about four years and it had become a bit of an obsession of mine. Mm. And it was something that I've always adored, that kind of sense of often I'll say when you learn to bake bread, it's not like you're learning it. You're just remembering it. This is something that's in our genes for thousands of years. And it's like, yeah, there's something really carnal and so mm. basic and so meditative when you put your hands in flour and you start kneading a dough and it just feels so I don't know for me I always feel so connected and it feels so romantic and so you get lost in just the process and out of your brain so we started this in an effort we found with the happy pair that over recent years with it growing and open a number of cafes you know a lot of our customers were people from you know traveling or people that come from all over the world and we kind of lost touch with the local community And we found with opening the bakery, it's been a nice opportunity to make us more relevant to the local community. And there's something so beautiful about just fresh baked bread Mm. using kind of good quality organic flour. And we found a a wonderful um, grower of grain is probably the best way or farmer um, who grow regenerative organically. And they use heirloom varieties here in Ireland. So we use a lot of uh, that Irish spelt and sometimes Charlie Mayle use einkorn in some cakes. And mm. we use Shipton mill when we can't use um, Oak Forest mill. But it's mm. it's such a fun process. And I guess part of us is to enjoy remembering to enjoy the journey and to try to make it all as as good as we can and to bring it back to your question i think <laughs> one of the single biggest things for anyone listening it's easy to feel 
you know, there's an epidemic of loneliness. We can feel disenfranchised with governments. We can feel disempowered right now. But I think what we choose to eat is one of the single biggest crossroads of where politics meets environmentalism meets nutrition. And I think every time you go to eat, it's a political act. It's a choice of what system you want to support. And I think mm. the more we can all be more considered and choose more you know, food that's grown in better soil, the more beneficial it is for our own health and for the health of our world. And more locally. Yeah, absolutely. So that's some of our hopes and wishes. We are not well enough read to understand what will happen at a global level. But, Mm. you know, we have hopes. We're dreamers. dreamers. We're total dreamers. But I love that, that what you need is a political decision. That that really, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think think politics starts on your plate. I think it genuinely does. It intersects and it's a crossroads of so many different sectors of the economy and society even I I think this is really interesting we were doing a bit of research there recently about soil and it's very easy in modern day society to think that the quality of our soil doesn't affect our economies and I remember a few years back reading Dan Barber had written a book called The Third Plate and I was fascinated where he he had ties he quoted some research where there was a direct correlation with as topsoil declined, economic prosperity declined. And it's very easy Mm. in modern day economies that are, you know, the knowledge economy, the information economy to think we're gone way beyond soil Soil. and food. But but even looking at research that came out earlier this year, they were quoting that about a third of the topsoil in the Midwest of the US had eroded and this caused a decline in soy and Mm. corn production by 6%, resulting in a decline of 6 billion in terms of dollars, revenue. in terms of revenue, yeah, it's a lot. which may, means less money to the local economy, which means a decline in economic prosperity. So I think our soil health is intrinsically linked with our own qu- personal health because it's it's a direct reflection of our microbiome and the macrobiome. It's all linked the, together, isn't it? The yeah. environmental thing and also the economic economic levels. So we're pulling some big links here now, but that's some of our thoughts. And you can't you can't buy soil. Because you can't, for, for soil to be alive and thriving, it takes time. And to revive a soil that's been eroded, that takes time. And you can't, you can't throw money at it. So it's definitely something that we, we all need to be thinking seriously about when consuming. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard. To, as Stephen said, there's no idea with it. They say topsoil takes around 500 years to make topsoil. But then again, you can like, with proper, you know, with biodigesters and like decent composting, like nature just has such a capacity to heal. Like exactly. As as someone else quoted recently, they said there's a billion hands coming out of the soil that are just dying to be, you know, use your help to heal. Like nature has just such a regenerative capacity. Yeah. So once we start kind of, you know, getting involved and actually working with nature, like soils will come back. We can regenerate things way quicker than we can ever imagine when we actually start on this journey. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna change tact a little bit. So both of you guys, what is your all-time favorite recipe? If you have one. My, like when, when, sometimes when I think about this one, it's never a recipe. Like when I think of like my favorite type of meals, I would think of, you know, me and Steve skulking around on holidays somewhere. Maybe we're on a trip somewhere, but we'd go to some market. Say, for example, it's early in the morning. The sun is rising. There's kind of dew coming off the land. There's, you can feel the like the anticipation and the potential in the day. And we're in a food, food market, like just an outdoor market. Imagine France or Spain. We're running around the market, delighted with life, so excited. These are our people. These are <laughs> vegetable and fruit men. Yes, and women. <laughs> and we just buy loads of fruit and we'll sit in the curb and watch the action and just eat, dig into mang- dig into 
peaches and nectarines and figs and buy some French stick and some olives. And that is my favorite recipe. I don't think I could possibly beat that. Nice. Uh, okay, okay, okay. okay. I'll, I'll, I'll make another stab at it. Uh, we swim in the sea at sunrise every day. And it's often, you know, lots of people can think it's crazy to swim in the cold Irish sea during winter. But the bit that makes it sustainable and the bit that brings us most joy is the community of us that do it together. And we kind of, there's nothing more um, binding than facing a common enemy. And our enemy is the cold sea because, you know, no one really at five, six, seven in the morning kind of really wants to go immerse themselves in cold water. It's not a natural biological desire, but the sense of togetherness, the sense of community is so enriching. And we found that, you know, we tend to celebrate each other's birthdays and we'll bring down cake. And it could be carrot cake, it could be whatever type of cake. And it's like an eight-year-old birthday party at six in the morning as the sun's rising. And it could be Lyndon Detty in their 70s. It could be Hugo's 25. They could be Alessia from Italy. And there's such cheer and such sense of joy. And you honestly feel like you're four and you're skipping around like a lunatic. <laughs> and I think that's one of my favorite recipes. That sounds like the perfect recipe to, <laughs> to me. We've seen your early morning swims. I've I've not braved it yet, but... Wild, wild swimming, as it's now called, is uh, is meant to be really, really good for you. I think I'm going to try and brave it, maybe. Come visit uh, us. I'm... Come visit us and we can put you up and you can come swim and we can eat. <laughs> We'd love to. That would be brilliant. That just might be the only thing that can make me do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's great fun, though. It's a great laugh. <laughs> because when you show up on the beach and there's already 50 people getting in and it's just it's no big deal, you just get in. You don't make a deal of it. Like you just follow suit because that's what people do. True. It's a bit like you come to dinner with people and everyone's eating dinner. So you just eat dinner. Exactly. You know? it's swept away. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I trust you. <laughs> Speaking of chocolate, um, it's a mood booster. I think we think. What uh, would you agree? Oh, well, Stephen, Stephen makes beans bar chocolate. So he will, he will, he'll jump in with two feet on his head and he'll tell you, you know, he could talk about chocolate for the next hour if you want to (laughs) yeah like I think it's very easy like I guess we've been on our journey of food we were trying to seek perfection through diet and at points like going from eating a vegetarian this is back about 20 years ago going from eating a a, you know a traditional Irish diet eating a vegetarian diet eating a vegan diet to eating a raw food plant-based diet to getting into fasting and cleansing and eating nothing but living foods and at times I remember pursuing um, enlightenment through kale, wondering if I ate a ton of kale, will I actually be able to levitate? And and obviously it didn't work. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, at times like that, we were very anti kind of sugar processed food or coffee. And I'm well aware that none of these foods are healthy. However, I think there, there is a place for cake or chocolate in a healthy diet. Um, yes, I think there that, is. There yeah, is. I think it's often, you know, it's not about cake. It's about the quantity of cake. And I think cake has the ability. And the quality, to, right? Yeah, or, or it doesn't necessarily even need to be high quality quality. It's just that sense of, I think, a forgotten nutrient is laughter and joy and friendship mm. and togetherness. And I think so much of the food we eat today, it's, you know, when we're feeling sad or lonely or tired and I, I think when you eat cake, I think it's important to share it with others and it's it's to punctuate or to mark an occasion as an opportunity to celebrate. So I think I love chocolate. I think it's incredible. And, you know, biologically, you know, it is two and a half thousand calories per pound. And you compare that to spinach, which is 100 calories per pound. It is 25 times the calories. So, of <laughs> course, it's going to be something that we desire and we love and it just tastes amazing because it's in essence, it's fat and sugar. And that's why we adore it. 
Um, but I think, you know, we have a coffee roaster and we roast our coffee and coffee has about three times more flavor profiles than red wine. And I, I see mm. chocolate as a similar ability of having subtle nuances of flavor. And as a chef, I've been making bean to bar chocolate for a couple of years now, and I'm often fascinated with the different origins and different roast profiles and how it delivers very different chocolate and it's a really fun process so i love chocolate and i better stop talking about it because yeah because you could be here for an hour <laughs> genuinely <laughs> okay so we're going to finish with our final question guys so um what's the best piece of advice anyone has ever given you if you can think of something the one bit, bit of advice that comes to my mind just completely off the cuff is mom used to always say to us mere kids she said like don't take yourself or don't take life so seriously and she drummed that into us. And I think it's, we've been very fortunate that we don't take life too serious and we don't take ourselves too serious because mommy used to always say like, there's no proof life is serious. And I think so many of us are going around kind of comparing ourselves to one another and going around all like anxious and stressed and whatnot. And I think someday we'll, we'll hopefully be 80, 90, 70, 100 year olds looking back and kind of going, why did I take it so serious? Because even now being 40 year olds, I can look back at my 20 year old self and I was pretty free, but I'd still looking back, I'd go, geez, if I got another go, I'd be even madder. <laughs> That'd be my one. Steve, you got any thoughts? Uh, I remember dad always kind of was very adamant with us that we should paddle our own canoe and kind of follow our own heart. And I know it can sound very cliched, but I think, you know, each one of us, I think is an independent human and, you know, brings different skills to the earth. And I think it's very easy to, in modern day culture with social media, to kind of be jealous and look outside ourselves to other people, why I'm a die like that. But I think everyone has incredible skills and different things. And I think the more we can focus on our own unique skills, the more we can make this game of life more beautiful and more fun Aww, absolutely love those cue, cue the lovely music cue a rocky montage <laughs> it's coming it's coming in now <laughs> beautiful <laughs> amazing last but not least we've got some quick fire questions for you great we'll keep them quick <laughs> so i'll start off white milk or dark chocolate dark oh, chocolate crisp chocolate chocolate yeah chocolate butter or olive oil olive oil yeah, definitely. Avocado or mango? Both. I got mango. Right now. I'd go both for sure. Depends on the mango and depends on the avocado. You can give me some rock hard mango in winter and it's only fit for thrown through someone's window, but it wouldn't be worth eating. So like, whereas, I don't know, both are just oh, two of my favourite friends. Yeah, I really love avocado and mangoes. They're definitely my favourites too. Um, ketchup or mayo? Not that into either really. I'd probably go mayo. I think mayo is a wonderful base with which you can flavor in many different ways. Yeah, I'd probably go mayo too. Mm-hmm. You know, more so than the sweet ketchup. <laughs> Cake or pie? Cake. I'll have a bit of both, please. Sure, why not? <laughs> sure, why not? Sure, Tuesday afternoon. Nice. French fry or cheese toasty? Ah, French fry, <laughs> I'd say. Yeah, cheese toasty now would mean to that. French fry would be lovely though. I got a new air fryer and having really fun cooking fries in that because you can manage to cook them with very oh, no I've not oil tried that. Oil. Is it good? Yeah, it's great out device. Yeah, I, I've kind of fallen in love with it the last few weeks. My poor L oven is just, it's kind of slightly Redundant. irrelevant. It's becoming yeah. very jealous. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, chocolate truffles is the last one or chocolate mousse? Mm. Uh, 
Jeez, there's a nice pause there. I always <laughs> think chocolate truffles can be full of proline and kind of, you know, they're underwhelming. They're, 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 majority of the time, they're disappointing. But so is chocolate mousse. It's generally made with cream and The something. one that we make, we often make a two-ingredient chocolate mousse for loads of demos. And, and I, it's just I, I find it hard not to eat loads of it. It's just chocolate and water, or else we'll flavor it with maybe berry tea, or maybe you put some ginger and cinnamon or something. Mm. But you can flavor Yes, so chocolate mousse would be our answer there. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Happy Pears. Thank you very much for listening to What the Focaccia. I hope you've enjoyed our food conversations and please do have a listen to the rest of the episodes to hear more brilliant stories about everything and anything to do with food. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, Islands Chocolates, who grow their own cocoa directly from seed on their farm in the Caribbean. And if you like hot chocolate, you'll find their proper hot chocolate in any Gales Bakery, where you can actually choose between 65 and 75% cocoa and have a Gales Barista make a creamy, high flavour hot chocolate for you. Don't forget that you can get 15% off anything you order from their website, which is islandschocolate.com. Just use the code islandswtf, that's islandswtf at the checkout. And please do give us a five-star rating if you've enjoyed the podcast. It really does help spread the word. And if you want to follow Bettina and myself, you'll find us on Instagram. Thanks for listening and we'll be back soon.